It's 5 p.m. The video store is bursting with people. Too many people for the middle of summer. Youngsters queuing up to live a high-resolution sporting dream with their thumbs on the Xbox console. There are older people too, not there to play Xbox though, but to get help downloading the forms for their National Health Insurance Fund. In another corner, aspiring techies heatedly debate the superiority of Python code over JavaScript. This is Tony's store. And Tony knows what he's doing. He studied computer engineering in Ghana. A prized degree. The kind that opens up doors and puts you ahead of the pack. But, as we've seen throughout this series, that's not always the case. Not in Africa, anyway. The African hustler gets no guarantees. In this podcast series, we've seen how young African hustlers have negotiated their way through an unrelenting economy, whether it be extracting wealth from the ground in South Africa, experimenting in the Ghanaian food economy, or taking risky trips to the market on the back of an unlicensed motorbike in Malawi. When it's a matter of survival, as it usually is, it's not as simple as what's wrong and what's right. It's a complicated matter in Africa. The rules aren't black and white. And for Tony, a young Kenyan, it's no different. In this episode, we explore how Tony has danced with the rules of the game since entering the world of work. Like a metal worker, he's had to bend the rules just enough to make the system work for him. This scheming means that Tony is always adapting and before the gaming shop, Tony's shop had another form. Actually, what I started with, there's something we call here a movie shop. So so the movie shop here is that like what we do is download movies like from Netflix because a lot of people can't access uh, internet. But Tony didn't only sell movies to those without internet. He also provided much-needed assistance to the people in his community. And offering cyber services. So that includes like applying most of the things here like uh, NHIF. That's like our health services, like card that you need if you need a job. And then the KRA, that's uh, the one you need for when you're filing your returns if you're employed. Tony's shop was like an extension of himself as he adapted to what life had to throw at him. So his shop also took on different forms. His store wasn't only a movie shop. It was also a liquor store. The wine, the wine business wasn't bad. It has good cash. But the problem with that was uh, uh, the police would always be on your neck. Like they want some money every day. Like they want money from you. Money from alcohol is lucrative, but it comes with higher risk and needs more capital. And it certainly came with its own range of problems for Tony. Then I dis- I saw like it was kind of hectic because now the police need to be uh, to be given something every day. Like they would come, like you have the the documents, yes, and it's actually very expensive. Like getting those documents go to let's say seven hundred dollars, yeah. $700 and they'll still come at your shop daily. They need something small from you. 
yeah so as you can continue operating and if you don't give them like yeah they will get something from you like so they will blame you on something even if you don't have it despite having a license the police bombarded tony for extra money a difficult situation for any store owner so when i saw it's becoming very hectic i had to cross the rika shop so i crossed the rika shop and that side where i had kept the rika shop i started the gaming like it depends with what you're operating in now the new business that i entered into i was just paying 70 dollars tony's adapted shop the video gaming store that we spoke about in the beginning of this episode also required a license but it was much more forgiving at a rate of $70 per year and police harassment not included. So that way I was offering gaming services which includes like GTA, FIFA. So people again, like a lot of people can be able to afford like everyone can be able to afford a PS console in their house. So people meet in a gaming shop where they'll sit down and game. So yeah, so I started the gaming thing. So people would come by movie and play games around there and yeah. Understanding the rules of the game and the authorities that enforce them was not something new for Tony at the game shop. His life involved a series of rule negotiations and interpretations as it does for many Africans. Now you might be wondering why a guy with an advanced degree like computer engineering would have a game store in the first place. His qualifications are the creme de la creme as far as degrees go. And in a world where AI and technology are advancing quicker and quicker every week, you'd expect that his qualifications would surely put him at the forefront of this technological advancement. Right? Like, you know, you can have a degree and be poor. Like, yeah, you'll be suffering. it's very important for you uh, uh for maybe improving uh a lot of things in your life but when it comes to you getting jobs here eh, i wouldn't say like uh, it, a, it gives you a good position because here a lot of factors come in consideration before you get a job you'd expect that your qualifications should be one of the only considerations when you apply for a job but that isn't the case in kenya it's not that simple The rules, if any, are complicated. Tony says that a person's class is a very big aspect involved in getting a job, and in fact, a lot of companies want money from you when applying for a job. So, you you see an advertisement in a good company that you can work to, and the next thing they're asking you for money. But it gets worse. He says that even if the stars have all aligned for you and you've secured a job in Kenya, it isn't a surefire route to a dignified and fulfilling life even those guys that are employed they are underemployed it's not like the job itself is paying them that well like you find that maybe you have done engineering and maybe you are a receptionist you know so the job itself is not fulfilling their needs like they feel like i have to be an entrepreneur i have to start something that will make me grow people identify themselves as entrepreneurs but they are employed and they still think of starting a business but they haven't started it yet if you've been listening to this podcast series then you'd have probably picked up that this is a trend for many young africans formal employment in africa is either unattainable or insufficient 
and this forces many into the informal economy and entrepreneurship. For Tony, it was no different. Though the game shop did well for some time, after two years, he wanted more. He had aspirations and dreams that needed to be fulfilled. So, Tony started looking further afield and what he found lay in the US, Arizona to be specific. Tony's new plan was to relocate to where his qualifications actually meant something. He planned on applying for an American study visa to pursue a postgraduate degree in Arizona. But when you check like a city like uh, Arizona, like right now I have majored into data analysis. Like data analysts are a hot cake there. Like it didn't take you even two months before you get a job. Yeah. So my hair, in my mind, what I was thinking is I have to shift somewhere. Maybe my skills are more valued, you know. Yeah, so to me, going to do the master's, I was planning to go stay there for a while and then maybe come back later when I'm stable enough financially and like maybe I can start a bigger business. I have a friend who has a PhD in artificial intelligence and he's suffering more than me. So from there now, I continued fully on my shop until now last month where I actually thought I would get the visa. So I sold the shop before I went for the interview. Tony sold his game shop to cover the costs of getting a U.S. visa. But almost immediately when he had cut the lifeline to his livelihood, complications began raining down on him. First of all, like here, the dates they are giving us is 2024. So if the the next interview that I can get is 2024 and I keep my heart in me going for the master's, it's quite tricky. I have at the school, I have the student loan confirmed, like they're actually sending the money this month, you know. But now the embassy can give you the visa, you see. The embassy operates as a different entity. Yeah, like they don't want to know wherever you're going, like they don't care even. Tony had been accepted into a prestigious American university for postgraduate studies and secured a bank loan. But when he went to the embassy in early 2022, he couldn't even get an appointment to apply for the visa until 2024. He had sold his shop to pay for the visa. And now he was back to square one. Tony had played by the rules, jumped over every hoop he was asked to, He had even been accepted into an American university on merit, convinced a bank to loan him money, and still, he could not win. His dream so close, yet so far. His mind was racing, and he needed to find a way to move on, to keep moving, to find the motivation to keep hustling. Yeah, so... One thing I realized is that if I ha- if I settle my head with uh, I'm going to US like that's all I have, like I wouldn't be able to work. Like I won't even find work. So right now what I've settled with is that I'm looking for work, and if I get a good job, I'll first defer the school. You know, because like uh, the the visa thing I've realized is a very tricky thing. A visa for Africans is indeed a tricky thing. A piece of paper a stamp in a passport that lets you travel across borders. Here, the rules are not so easily bent. We live in a world that is globalized, where information, goods, services, and capital flow freely across borders all the time, but not bodies, particularly not African bodies. 
there is very little room to maneuver within the pages of this particular rulebook. The rules don't serve Africans trying to better their lives and that of their families. Tony says that Africanness is unfairly discriminated against even when looking for remote and freelance work. Like probably you are, you are here, even getting that remote job from away, they will ask you such a question even when you are applying for the job on LinkedIn. So some companies will definitely disqualify you the moment like you are from here. Mm. Yeah, like they won't give you the job. Mm. Irrespective of you having the skills or being qualified for that job. Tony's had to face yet another blow. With his shop gone and no visa, he ventured into freelance work on a site called CloudSurf. So, so currently I'm freelancing as a, as a transcriber. I'm reviewing full text. I'm doing full text review with CloudSurf. Mm. Yeah, online. And then I'm also doing some, some writing some technical articles online. But as company policy, CloudSurf doesn't employ Africans. So Tony had to dance that all too familiar tango once again. I bought an account from somebody. Because now what happens is this CloudSurf company won't be able maybe to accept me into their company, but they can accept somebody from Canada. So we have Canadians who like create their accounts for us and they sell it to us. You see? Yeah. So like my my account is Canadian. $600 for it to get that to be able to work there. Canadians create accounts and sell them onto Africans who do the actual work. This doesn't exactly seem fair. But then again, rarely in Africa does fair come into the hustle equation. Before getting a chance to get onto the playing field, the game is rigged for young Africans. And not only online. We've seen Londiwe in South Africa, who had to trick the tribal chief into renting her a piece of land to farm on because the rules stated women are not allowed to own land. I spoke to him. He said, uh, but you are a woman and you are young. <laughs> I said to him, but I have a son. Mm. So I need a piece of land for him. Mm. Then, yeah, he finally agreed <laughs> to sell me. <laughs> Exonym from Ghana, who did everything by the book to increase her chances of getting a job post-graduation and yet still faced unemployment for over a year. There was an interview I went for where the guy was like, you are too good, why would you even come for this role? I'm like, are you kidding me? I need a job. I need a job. And then there's Tony, who applied through the formal channels and received a bank loan, abiding by every rule in the book, and yet still the rules found a way of catching up with him and his dreams. So I wasn't like, at a time like this, I was planning now to be planning how like I'll be heading to, to Arizona. I was supposed to fly on that year. You see? Yeah. I had not planned for this and then it came. So I had to look for another option now. Yeah. Instead of living out his dream, Tony transcribes and reviews text online, posing as a Canadian and earning just enough to cover the necessities like food and rent. Even though the game is rigged, 
Tony knowingly plays anyway, and this doesn't seem to bother him. Tony, like everyone in the series, is hustling his very own African dream. His dream. His life. His hustle. This podcast was produced by Telltale Media and the Human Sciences Research Council in partnership with the MasterCard Foundation. For more awesome content like this, please hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcasts and you'll be notified whenever new episodes are released. Lastly, if you're enjoying the series, leave us a rating or review. We'd love to hear from you. Next time on Hustling the African Dream... Hustling for me is the fact that you're taking action and trying to make a living um, and knocking on doors, asking information and like seeking out opportunities. Uh, the term hustling, I think for me, it, it, um, it, ha- it has like it's embedded in struggle because there is an element of like you have to make it no matter the or no matter what you are struggling you actually to survive so there's an element like of doing what it takes no matter what and if we could call it the hassle economy is because i think a lot of the informality has to do with hassling